All right, Revelation chapter 15. I'm going to read chapter 16 also. It says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand upon the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and of the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple, the tabernacle, the testimony in heaven was opened. Seven angels come out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. One of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord which art, and wast, and shalt be, because thou hast judged. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power is given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial in the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. 
And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance for God, to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. Just title the message tonight, The Judgment of Our Righteous God. The Judgment of Our Righteous Gods. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you for your word. And Father, for we understand that through your word, we understand who you are. Your person has been revealed to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, as we look in the Word of God tonight, again, that we'd see you clearly, high and holy and lifted up. I pray that you would uh, help us to understand that you are a righteous and holy God, that your judgment is just and fair. So, Lord, just encourage us. And we'll thank you to praise you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes if you read things like this, you might ask yourself the question, this is, is God fair? I mean, think about the things that we just read and the judgments that are poured out upon man, mankind. That is to come. But we must understand that, I want to notice three things. I think I have actually a four. We must understand that, first of all, that God's righteousness has been manifest to man. If you notice in verse four, it says this Who shall not fear thee? O Lord, and glorify thy name. Who shall not fear thee? Who would not? Who, you know, the, I think the idea here is, who would not fear you and glorify your name? If they knew who you were, why would they not fear him or reverence him and glorify him for who he is? So the question I would ask then with that thought is are these people that we're, going to re- that we're reading about here, this is you know, during the tribulation of course, and are people today innocent, or that is, do they have a reasonable just- justification to not believe or, or, or serve or follow God? You know, again, notice that verse 4 says, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And again, so I asked, 
do they have, are they innocent, or, without, or, or, or are they being judged without cause in not knowing who God is? The answer is no. Because the Bible here says His judgments are made manifest. You know, Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth His handiwork, day and day hath uttered speech, night and night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And along with that, and in a cross-reference to that, of course, is Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, which says, that the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You know, creation from a scientific view, which means observation, that's what science is. It has to be observable to be science, to be real science. Okay? So creation from a scientific view speaks to a creator. These things just didn't happen or just didn't evolve. It's a scientific impossibility if you really examine it honestly. So it speaks to a creator. It's the, the, what we observe in the earth speaks to a young earth, not billions of years old, but thousands, at the most probably eight, you know, most likely around 6,000 years old, you know, it also speaks of a worldwide flood. You know, all, all ancient civilizations give some description of the Genesis flood. China, India, the ancient Indian civilizations have, you know, all these have carvings on caves. Even the Chinese language in their language, you know, um, um, I'm trying to remember the one one now, but it's it's you know it's, it has a the, one of their of course their work their their the letters are character art characters, and one of them is a, a people in an ark or a boat. You know, it again it's it's the flood it speaks of the flood. Uh, I think righteousness, I think righteousness is a lamb over me, or something like that. Uh, you know, all each of the civilizations uh, speak of the Genesis flood, give some descriptions of it. Uh, we find in the Bible uh, things about science, the hydrologic cycle. You know, evaporation, the clouds gather water, they come down to the earth, they run into the rivers, it goes to sea, and the sea is never full. And that cycle starts all over again. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 7 speaks of that. We know that from the Bible that the earth is round. Isaiah 42, 40, 22 talks about the circle of the earth. We know from the Bible there are paths or currents in the sea. Man didn't discover that till the 1900s. I'm trying to remember the guy's name. But anyway, in Psalm 8, 8 talks about the paths in the seas. Now, the laws of, uh, of thermodynamics... Uh, cleansing of uh, sanitary cleansing those, a lot of those are in the book of Genesis and Leviticus Moses gave them to man God gave them to Moses 
you know, the Bible isn't a science book, but it is, it is correct concerning science. You know, archaeological, there's much archaeological evidence, and again, proves the accuracy of the Bible over and over and over again. And the interesting thing is, people that do this, they come up with the same conclusions. They still don't believe in God. You know, uh, they, you know, they, they, you know, man has been trying to discredit the Bible for years, and then they find the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they start, you know, some critics said, well, this disproves the Bible. No, it didn't. <laughs> found out it proved the Bible again. And now, Nathan was just saying the other day, but they found the Emmaus Road. And, you know, there's, there's all kinds of evidence that archaeologists have found proving the history and authenticity of the Bible. Um, the, uh, uh, there's a clay that's been found from the first temple in, uh, from wayoflife.org, David Clyde's website. There's, it says, in the rubble that was removed from the Temple Mount by a Palestinian-controlled uh, WAF, I guess, and dumped in various waste sites throughout Jerusalem, Dr. Gabby Barkai found a clay seal from the Temple Mount with Hebrew writing. On the third line of the ancient seal was the name Immer, which is the last name of a man, Pasher ben Immer, whom the book of Jeremiah describes as an important priest in the first temple. Looking at a set of broken lines above the name Immer, Barkai concluded that the seal belonged to a relative of Pasher named Galahu ben Immer. The clay seal proved to, that a noted priestly family member at the time of ancient Israel was involved in administering the Temple Mount. Uh, they also found an inscription in the Salam Tunnel in Jerusalem that celebrates the completion of the water tunnel in the time of Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah described in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 20. Uh, the Hebrew writing is an early angular script used before the Babylonian exile. Uh, they also found part of Nehemiah's wall. You know, again, they, they find things over and over again that give authenticity to the Bible, proving that what God says is true. Uh, there's historical evidence and accuracy of the Bible narrative. It's, it's, it's astounding. You know, Robert Dick Wilson did research, uh, and he concluded that the Bible is the most accurate book in the world. He said this. You know, he spent years of his life in research and he authored a book entitled Scientific Investigation of the Old Testament, in which he confidently affirmed, we are scientifically certain that we have substantially the same Old Testament text that was in the possession of Christ and the apostles, and so far as anybody knows, the same as that written by the original composers of the Old Testament documents. Think of the accuracy of the Bible prophecies. What's the chances of all them coming out just as predicted? I think one in 10,000 squared or something like that. It's a number you can't even quite fathom. You know, God has manifest himself to man in many ways. Not only through his word, but in things we see every day. Think about this. The invincible seemingly invincible Jew. I mean, no people has been so hated and persecuted and put to death 
and yet they remain. And they still hold their distinction as, quote-unquote, God's people. Still looking for the Messiah. Still claiming the land of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the promises given to them. They are a modern-day miracle. There have been efforts after effort to wipe them off the map. One just in the last century, well, several, actually. One of them is called the Six-Day War. You ought to read sometime about the Six-Day War. Let me read you a little bit about it. Uh, let, me, let me just give you a little background. Egypt was at war with Yemen. I think it was Yemen. And it wasn't going real well, so... Uh, they decided that they would change tactics and uh, 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 attack Israel. And their, again, their plan was to destroy, completely destroy Israel. But Israel that day was rolling along like a fool's paradise. You know, they just thought they were they were free, and they they nobody was going to bother them, and. And uh, they, they assumed they were protected and would, the world would protect them. And, and, uh, and you know, the, the United Nations, whatever they're worth, was just much. You know, they had a peacekeeping force in the Sinai Peninsula. And, and the, the Egyptian president, of course, had violated his word. And, uh, you know, he had cut off the shipping to Israel. But then he ordered the the uh, United Nations peacekeeping force out of the Sinai Peninsula. He, he had contact with Russia, and, and, and they provided him arms. He made agreement with Syria to attack from the north, and then he pressured Jordan to attack from the east. And he was going to attack from the south. So he had these alliances. So, the Jews, and I'm going to read part of this article, it says, the, quote, the Jews throughout the world were frightened. Here was the specter of the Holocaust happening all over again, not 25 years later. Synagogues in the United States were packed with Jews, including many who had not been in the synagogue for years. The Israeli army mobilized. They stood mobilized for almost two weeks. It was both incredibly expensive and emotionally draining. Politicians formed a national unity government, prime minister, made a speech to the nation exhorting it to be strong. But on Monday morning, June 5, 1967, the war began. When word reached America, many Jews did not go to work. The worst fears were exacerbated by the fact that as the Israeli news radio went on blackout during the first 18 hours of the war, the Arabs were broadcasting their glorious victories. They were bombing Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, destroying the enemy with impunity, etc., what really was happening was that on Monday morning, the Israeli Air Force had launched a devastating surprise attack which destroyed virtually the entire Arab Air Force, including those in Egypt, Jordan, and Syria, all in under three hours. Three hours. About 500 airplanes were destroyed at the loss of, more than, of less than 40 for the Israelis. 
The Israelis have flown as low as six feet over the Mediterranean for almost 70 miles at over the speed of sound to avoid radar detection. It was an incredible feat of piloting acumen. Never before had there been such a lopsided battle of air forces. There was still war to fight, but the tactical advantage had changed immediately. Israel now attacked on the Egyptian front, sending three main tank battle groups into Sinai. They three burst into the Sinai, smashing the Egyptian army, destroying it in three days. Countless trucks, tanks, artillery, and other burned-out Egyptian vehicles littered the desert when it was over. Over 5,000 Egyptian soldiers surrendered immediately. The Israelis were at the Suez faster than they were in the Sinai campaign. There was nothing between them and Cairo, and after announcing repeatedly that Egypt was winning the war, Nasser, that's the Egyptian president, was in a panic on the verge of losing his country. Meanwhile, King Hussein from Jordan made the error of editing the war based on Nasser's public announcements. He thrust forward in expectation of taking Jerusalem. There was a number of pitched battles. One was the Ammunition Hill, which had a British ammunition fortress protecting East Jerusalem, where the Jordans had set up extensive bunkers and defenses. On Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, Israeli paratroopers captured the hill despite experiencing terrible casualties in the process. With Ammunition Hill now in their hands, the Jordanians were outflanked and retreated. The Israelis captured the old city all the way to the western wall, the Wailing Wall, the last remnant of the temple that had been last been in Jewish hands almost exactly 1,900 years earlier. The liberation of Jerusalem forced the Jordanian army to vacate the entire western bank. They were pounded by Israeli air force across the Jordan River. Along with the Jordanians, about 1,000 Arabs there also fled, further compounding the Arab refugee problem. One of the most memorable images of the time is of King Hussein, unshaven, haggard, tired, and beaten, getting on television and announcing his defeat, cursing out the other Arab nations for fooling him. The Golan, Israel's side now, is to take time to settle the score with Assyria. Also, beginning on Friday morning, they attacked using many of the same troops that fought in Sinai and Jerusalem. They were now fighting the third major battle within the course of a week. And the Golan was considered impregnable fortress. It had triple-layer system mines, bunkers, artillery, and machine guns built into the high ground that they occupied. That's Syria occupied that. The Israeli Air Force was evade but could not do it alone because it had conquered had to be conquered by foot, foot by foot, grenade by grenade. And what was a textbook exposition of how foot soldiers can dislodge an enemy no matter how strong, the Israelis were able to push the Syrians out of all three lines of defense. They finally captured the peak of Mount Hermon. It is such a strategic location that it is possible to see every plane landing at Damascus Airport 20 miles away from its perch. The entire Golan Height all fell under Israeli control. It would take them almost a decade to just remove all the minefields. The Israelis sustained 700 dead, 2,000 wounded. But the radiance of victory overshadowed the personal tragedy involved. Suddenly, from the small Jewish state on the verge of annihilation, Israel was an imperial power. Of course, the world condemned Israel. Think about it, in six days, six days. You say, what's the significance of that? God intervened. That's all I can say. You see, God promised them the land, and God promised them that there would be a king that would reign in Jerusalem. 
And no people or nation is going to annihilate Israel. Think about it. Where are the Anakins? Where are the Hittites? Where are the Amalekites? Where are the Philistines? Where are the Moabites? Where are they? Where's the Babylonians? But Israel's still here. Israel's still here. Where is Sodom and Gomorrah? And more recently, Pompeii. The sin city of Rome. God destroyed it like he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, the laws of a healthy society and that which destroys society are very evident in our world if one is just willing to look. And these things come from God. You know, the history of mankind has seen evidence of these things over and over and over again, and what do we do? We're like Pete the Repeat. Did you ever tell that, do that silly thing when you were a kid about Pete the Repeat? Maybe you never did it. Maybe you, maybe, you, maybe you had more television to watch than I had. So, you know. But anyway, you know, we had this little thing of Pete to repeat, and you just keep repeating it over and over again. You know, that's kind of what man does with history. They say that history doesn't teach us anything. The only thing we learn from history is to do it over again. And see, what history, the real lesson of history is man continues his rebellion against God. Even though the evidence is that God is a holy and righteous God, he's to be feared. And to be glorified. If you want, if you want a prosperous and, a, and, a, and a, a good society, worship God. You know, Psalm 19, 119, verse 128 can kind of sum this up. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. See, everything God says something about is right. And I hate every false way. So, you know, God has manifested himself. His righteousness has been manifest to man. But we see here that God's judgment of man is righteous. Notice chapter 16, verse 5 through 11. It says, And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and was and shalt be. Of course, that's speaking about Christ. Art was and shalt be, because thou hast thus judged. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. Thou hast given them blood to drink. Now go back to chapter 15 for just a minute here, and look at verse 2. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. And we, we see these before in uh, chapter uh, uh, 6. And, you know, this, this, is, this is around the altar of God. And in chapter 6, verse 9, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw on the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimonies for the held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord? Holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest for yet a little season till their fellow servants also, as their brethren, that should be killed as they were, 
should be fulfilled. And this is, I believe, that same group he's talking about, that they are, they are there now singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And, and, and they're saying to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are righteous in shedding the blood of these people because they've shed the bloods of the saints, of the prophets. And thou hast given them blood to drink. Your judgment is righteous. God's judgment is righteous. You know, man's judgment sometimes is vindictive. I remember there was a court case in Pennsylvania, and I can't remember exactly what it had to do, but it had something to do with taking material from a place of work and selling it in, the, in a guy's store. That's what he was accused of. And you know, it wasn't that, and, and this statement was made by, I think, the judge. We're going to make an example He didn't say we're going we're gonna to do justice here. He said we're going to make an example. God doesn't just make examples out of people. He's not vindictive to people or wanting to hurt people. He's greed with our sin, but he is also a holy God, and he will judge in righteousness. Any judgment he makes is a righteous judgment. They deserve it or is right according to their deeds. In fact, the word righteous... There's lexicon says this, rendering to each his due, and that in a judicial sense, passing judgment on others, whether expressed in words or shown by the manner of dealing with them, so of, of God recompensing men impartially according to their deeds. So the, the, these, these that are under order are saying, Lord, you are righteous, they've shed our blood, and you're giving them blood to drink. See, God is a righteous judge. We find that emphasized over and over again in the Bible. In chapter 19, again, verse 11, says, I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called righteous and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. In, in John seven twenty four, Jesus said, While I was on earth, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. You know, we're not, God doesn't judge according to appearance. You know, we remember the story when, when, when he told Samuel to go anoint a king from, from Jesse's family, and, and Eliab came out, the oldest, and he was a big, strapping, handsome young fellow, and, and Samuel said, surely, surely that's the one. And the Lord said, don't look on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature. Don't look on his appearance. Don't judge by appearance. You judge righteous judgment. He look on his heart. Psalm 96, 13, Before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth, he shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. And we find this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, or, or yeah, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Again, it talks about how he is going to judge uh, in righteousness. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says in, in verse uh, uh, 6, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense to them, tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with, 
His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction in the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be martyred in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. See, God is a righteous judgment. In fact, Romans 2.5 says this, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath, against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You know, the world is investing. I want you to think about that word investing. They're investing themselves. They're investing themselves in resistance and rebellion against God. And, and so they're really, they're building up or treasuring up or saving up. Just like you would put money in a savings account because you, you want to earn an investment because you want to earn a return. They're investing in, to get a return and that return is going to be the wrath of God. The righteous judgment of God. They continue to invest in rebellion against God. And this is so evident in the book of Revelation. You know, we have many manifestations of the book of Revelation. Like I said this morning, the angel flying through the, through the, through the, the sky, the 144,000 witnesses uh, going all over the world preaching the gospel, uh, the, the, the two witnesses in Jerusalem for three and a half years, and, and, and all the signs and wonders, and yet man continues in his rebellion against God, treasuring up to himself the wrath of God. You know, the world is, 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 again, building its resistance against God, against his people, against his purpose, purposes. Think about it. The Democrats, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, all the liberal groups. If they succeed in shutting down free speech, they, you know who they're really coming after? Us. Coming after us. The agenda of the left, the LBGTQ, Antifa, Socialists, Democrats, Environmentalists, Nature Workers, what they want is God closed up in a little box and put away somewhere where he can't be seen nor heard or bother them. That's what they want. But they got a problem. You can't put God in a box. His evidence is everywhere. In fact, what they don't realize is his evidence is in their being. They have a spirit that yearns for a relationship with its maker. That will never be satisfied until they have it. And yet in hatred and anger though they can't get a hold of God or get against God, so they come after the next closest thing. You know, they have been trying for years to get God completely out of public life. That's what the thing with prayer and Bible reading was. 
Let's get God out of public life. That, that's what the, the statement that they like to use, the separation of church and state. You know, that phrase is not in the Constitution. It's not in the Bill of Rights. They want, they want Christianity out of government, but they don't want religion out of government because you can have Islam in government. By the way, Islam is a government. Sharia law is a government. Christianity is not a government. But the Bible does give righteous laws for everyone. You see, it's not that they want religion out of the state. They want Christianity out of the state. And so God's judgment is righteous. It is just. If you notice, you read on here. uh, Verse 7, I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. Power is given unto him to scorch men. Men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. Now, when I read that, this thought came to mind. You know, these are the people, these are the people that have deceived the nations. They hinder or are against the getting out of the gospel. They're trying to hinder it. Of course, they're followers of the devil. And they're headed for an eternity. But what they're doing is encouraging people and deceiving people into, into to following them and the devil, and they're going to spend an eternity in hell, in eternal torment. And here they are, tormented. Darkness is another condition of hell. It's like God's given them the precursor of what's coming for all eternity. And those under the altar say, Just and righteous are thy judgments, O Lord. But notice the third thing. The great day of God Almighty is coming. Notice chapter 16, verse 12. It says, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garment lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So what we this is this is kind of a summary uh, of chapters I believe of chapters seventeen through nineteen, which will give us more t- details. Uh, and chapter nineteen talks about the battle of Armageddon and how the Lord's going to slay them. But but anyway, so this is kind of a summary I believe. When we see the the source of their rebellion is of course the devil. But it's interesting that the the Bible says here that the that the uh, great river Euphrates, the water thereof was dried up. Now, the river Euphrates is the water source for Iraq. 
flows right through the middle of the rack, and that fertile plain, the beginning, or the, what they call the cradle of civilization, is a very fertile, but it depends on the Euphrates River. The interesting thing is, it's drying up. NASA, looking from outer space in 2007, noticed it's drying up. And there are several reasons for that. Some of it is it's the, the droughts, but there's another article, and this was July 11, 2018, from uh, Signs of the Last Days. It's a blog titled Catastrophic Drought and Dams Drying Up the Euphrates River. And the article says this, The rivers of Iraq and Syria above all the Euphrates are drying up in the Middle East, becoming even more arid. Dams built in the river in Turkey and Syria since the 1970s have reduced the flow of water that flows down into Iraq by as much as half, and the situation is about to get worse. This summer, Turkey started filling the uh, Lusu Dam, and this will cause another decline in water inflows down to Iraq of about 50%. This means Iraq, which used to get 30 billion cubic meters of water a year from the Euphrates, will now receive less than 16 billion. Strong currents and flooding for integration, which historically happened, are now a thing of the past, and each year the amount of water, of water taken by Middle Eastern countries for the river has been rising. This pattern started in the 70s when Turkey and Syria built dams on the Euphrates for hydroelectric power and vast irrigation systems. The same thing happened a little later to the Tigris, whose major tributaries are being dammed by Iran, and now it was too late reverse the disastrous impact of the massive loss of flow of water of the Euphrates River. And one article I read said that you know, it used to be you could not cross the Euphrates River in Iraq, but now you can walk across it. You can just walk across it. It's hardly even knee-deep. And the Bible says here that it's going to be dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Of course, the kings of the east would be what's east of Israel, or east of Iraq, east of Euphrates. So all the Asian nations with their great populations and you know, the Bible says there's going to be a two million man army. China can put a million men in, in the field just like that. And we know that the whole world is going to, in fact, it says it in verse 14 that they are the, of course, these unclean spirits are demons or devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And of course, they're going to they're gather in that place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. That's the valley of Megiddo. We talked about that, uh, I think, the last Sunday night we preached from Revelation. So what we see here, again, the source of the rebellion against God is the devil himself, in the false prophet, the dragon, uh, the beast, and the false prophet, verse 13. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And for they are spirits of devils. Uh, he is the source of rebellion against God. He said in Isaiah 14, I will be like the Most High God. He has been deceiving and convincing men to follow him ever since. Peter, in 2 Peter 2, verses 1 and 2, describes this deception this way. Second Peter 2, verse 1-2, it says, But there were false prophets also among the people, and as, even as there be 
shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious, or that word pernicious means destructive or destroying ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So he is a, of course, he is a, he is the destroyer, he is the author, instigator of sin, and he is going to attempt to destroy Israel. He's going to gather the world against Israel and to destroy, to annihilate them one final time. However, he's going to be thwarted in his plan, in his effort, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, verse 17 through 18 says this, And the seventh angel poured out his vial in the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. The battle is over. As soon as you know, this is this is going to be like another thing like the Six Day War. It's going to be over like that. You know, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that Jesus is going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives. There's going to be that the earth is going to cleave. There's going to be great earthquake. He's going to set his feet there, and that's what it talks about here: an earthquake so great and mighty. The city is going to be divided in three parts, and the nations are going to fall. In great Babylon, and we'll see the significance of that in the next couple of weeks, chapter 17 and 18, is going to be destroyed. It speaks of false religion. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. There fell upon men a great hail out of town, every, uh, a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. You know, a talent could be up to 90 pounds. Could you imagine hitting with a ball of ice weighing 90 pounds? I mean, in Garner, they had golf ball-sized hail back in May. It put dents in cars and broke windshields. It dented a metal roof. Of course, tore up lots of siding, vinyl siding. But, you know, I'm wondering what it would like to get hit in the top of the head with one of those falling out of the sky. I imagine it would hurt. You know, it wouldn't be the same as getting hit with a rock because a rock wouldn't break where the ice would. But, you know, it isn't going to be just one. Then it's done. But 90-pound hailstones? It says the plague thereof was exceeding great. Of course, we know from Revelation 19, he's going to destroy them with the word of his mouth, sword of his mouth. You see, it is done. God is going to destroy their wickedness and their rebellion. But he gives, in in conclusion here, but God gives a command to his people. Notice in verse 15, it says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and see his shame. You know, the world and their rebellion doesn't, pause and think what if God shows up oh. now that would be a, 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 an amazing thought wouldn't it what if God shows up 
you know, they don't want to stop to consider that. Because they don't fear him. They don't reverence his name. They're in sold out rebellion against him. What if God's against me? Their idea is, who's God? I am. But the Lord says to us, watch at keep. We need to watch. We need to live in anticipation of his coming. Don't lose sight of the fact he is coming. He's coming for us. And he that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. We're to keep our garments. We're to keep our relationship with the Lord. We're, we're to walk with him despite the darkness. We're to walk with him and let our light shine in this darkness. Knowing that one day he is coming. He's just going to appear. Of course, we know that we'll be caught up to be with him. And so the command to us is for us just to watch, to be faithful, to occupy till he comes. Till that great day when God finally says, it is done. And everything wrong will be right. And we'll be with the Lord for all eternity.